sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Before we start this episode, we'd like to give a content warning. This episode has conversation regarding domestic abuse and domestic violence. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister, your friend, your neighborhood, maybe sis, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood podcast. So this episode is really different, you guys. It's very different. It's not just a story. Today we have a few sisters in the studio. Today we have a few sisters in the studio. Can I get some little noise? Can I get some noise? (laughs) (laughs) I'm super excited to have Nisa Holmes here with us. For those who do not know who Nisa Holmes is, it is a home for women and children for domestic violence and homelessness across Canada um, who um, are doing incredible work um, and before I, we talk about more in detail, I did want to do a little bit of uh, an intro for all of you. So, inshallah, I know Yasmin is on my right. Just, do you want to introduce yourself, inshallah, with everybody? Sure. <laughs> sure. So, my name is Yasmin, and I'm the uh, program director at Nissa Homes. Mm-hmm. I'm a mom of two. I've been with Nissa Homes for almost eight years now. Um, and, yeah, I've, I've just always wanted to work in you know, in the Muslim community and and in supporting women specifically. Mm -hmm. Just from, you know, witnessing a lot of what uh, I grew up with in terms of, you know, family, friends, uh, experiencing abuse and and all of that. So it's always been something that I, you know, since high school, I've been Mm -hmm. dealing with domestic violence, unfortunately. So it's always been something I've been passionate about. I'm uh, completing my uh, master's of social work right now. Mashallah. Tabarakallah. It's incredible. 
Yeah. We love how, that's me. <laughs> we love to have Muslims in the game trying to make the world a better place cuz that's important. That's important to us, you know? Um but next up we have Sobia. Ooh. Assalamu alaikum. Um, I'm Sobia and I am a mom of three. Alhamdulillah. Um, Allah, actually, older kids, so a lot of people mix us up as siblings, <laughs> uh, which is a flattery, you know. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> I don't complain. <laughs> but um, by profession, I am a product marketing manager and by soul, I am an entrepreneur and writer. I uh, love to just express myself in different ways and I'm huge on marketing communications and, and whatnot. Words are my favorite thing. Oh. <laughs> Um, and, uh, just last year, actually, I, I went back to school, actually not even back to school. I, I went to school for the first time <laughs> in the sense that, um, earlier I, I didn't get a chance to finish my high school and through serendipitous experiences and opportunities and from a law, of course, uh, I had an opportunity to finish uh, or start my post-grad and complete it last year. Oh, mashallah. Uh, despite, <laughs> you know, the circumstances. So felt really, really good. Actually, just this time around last year, I, as when I graduated and um, now I work with Launch Good. I mean, oh, look at you, sis. <laughs> Girl, stats there. We love them. We love us they're doing things. We love it. <laughs> Next up we have... Rina. Rina, tell me about yourself. So my um, role at Nissa Homes is of the mental health lead. Uh, I've been with Nissa Homes for about seven years now. I think I came right after Yasmin. And um, so what I do there is basically I make sure that our homes are equipped with best practices in mental health because I want to make sure that the women and children that come in are ready to be integrated back into the world and that we give them the best type of care that, you know, people get in the mainstream services. So my entire goal is to bring that to the Muslim space. Um, in my spare time or actually in what takes up my entire time is I'm a mother of three as well, older children. And my uh, other profession is that I am a registered psychotherapist. Mashallah, tabarakallah, incredible! That's incredible. Oh, we got we got a mental health lead. You know, this is the first time we've ever had somebody here who specializes in mental health. So I'm very excited to hear from you. I have so many questions for you, Mashallah. But I'm so glad to have you here. We have next up, Batul. And also a mother of uh, three. Looks like this was the criteria. I'm qualified. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my children are also grown-ups. Two girls and a boy, and I'm a kindergarten teacher. Mm. And I also went back to uh, college two years ago to I'm finish sure. my Montessori education. Uh, previously, I did my um, bachelor's in uh, education psychology uh, and literature. Wow, so I, I yeah, but it, it was um, um, I I I didn't study in Canada, so I wanted to do something here, and I um, I was fortunate enough to go back to uh, college to learn Montessori early years. Wow, mashallah. So in conclusion, we got intelligent women in the room, okay, <laughs> basically who are getting their education. And they're here to spit some real today, and I'm excited to talk about. What our topic is today, just to um, uh, give some background, so today we're going to be talking about um, a very, very important topic, um, a very um, topic that's not really talked about enough, I would say, especially within the Muslim community. And so today I'm really, really excited to dive into that all raw and real. You know, <laughs> we're going to keep it raw and real today. A topic today, inshallah, is about domestic violence and homelessness. Um, and I'm excited to have Nisa Holmes kind of lead this, inshallah. Um, and 
we also have two, I like what well, we're going to call you guys Thrivers, right? We're Thrivers. Do you want to, um, Sylvia and Batul, do you want to tell us what Thrivers are? Why are we calling you guys Thrivers? Um, I think Thrivers um, are, you can call us Thrivers because we are not just survivors. We survived and we kept going and we kept um, healing and uh, learning and also now I think for me, I can speak for myself that I'm ready to help others mm-hmm. who might need some guidance because I would have really appreciated when I was going through stuff that if if some if I had some kind of guidance or just maybe just um, someone to to you know uh, speak to, mm-hmm. someone to share with what I was going through, someone to validate my feelings. I would have really appreciated it and it would have really helped. So I want to be there for for people. That's why I I call myself a thriver because I am ready to to give back to community now. Amazing. Oh my god, that's incredible. That's incredible to hear from you, mashallah. And and I love that. And I find that very inspirational. So thank you. Thank I'm super you. excited to hear from you, Batul, inshallah. But Sylvia, tell me why 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 thriver? Um I think the analogy that I use or that I resonate with is the phoenix that rises from the ashes. Ooh. And Ooh. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. That gave me a picture. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, and it soars, um, you know, despite the circumstances that it might have experienced, right? And so to me, you know, Thriver is, is a lot more than just the word itself, but the everything like the foundation that built you up to where you are now. Um, and, and remembering, you know, there was a moment where, where I didn't have the pieces to know what, what the next steps were. And alhamdulillah, having gone through that journey for over the years and healing and, and growth and learning, um, there's a point where you're just flying Mm. (laughs) and, and now you're in a place where I feel like, um, I almost feel like a responsibility uh, in some sorts for myself, um, that I'd like to give back and be able to help those other sisters who might have been in that point of of feeling like what's next, mm-hmm. you know, and, and feeling like you're left in the dark um, and, and, you know, provide some light, inshallah. So, Absolutely. Oh, and cool. you're already beaming, by the way. You're already bringing <laughs> as much light as you can. I love it. Um, I wanted to start with icebreakers, but I did jump into the Thrivers. Um, but question for everyone. What is something that makes your heart smile? Hmm. <sighs> Beyond what they just said, <laughs> right? I just wanted to backtrack a little bit, right? Yeah. This is why Nissa Homes exists. Yeah. When we hear these stories, right, this is why I exist at Nissa Homes, mm-hmm. is to give this space so that we can have these thrivers. So this has made me smile like huge. You guys can't see it, but it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm going to add on to that, too, and say that at Nissa Homes, I think the best part, what makes my heart smile, mm-hmm. is when I see women that have come to Nissa Homes and then they come back and give back. They are donating back. They are volunteering back. They're working with us now or hiring other people in their businesses. Like, I feel like that is like that full circle. Like, it's even beyond that circle, but that you have to be in a place where you're able to give back yeah, to, to you know, and, and just to see their whole journey being mm-hmm. there to see that. Like, I feel like. It's like seeing my kids grow up. Yeah, like, yeah. It really is like that. This whole conversation. That's that's. And that's what integration is, right? When we talk about integration, we don't mean just take you and house you and okay, that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. This is integration, successful integration. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. So beyond beyond this, beside beyond yeah. this, I mean, what <laughs> makes me smile is just right now in life is just 
pretending to plan a vacation <laughs> I <laughs> out love of here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we've had a long winter, right? Yeah, we had a very yeah. long winter. <laughs> a very long two years of COVID. Oh, yes. It's I, been a I long, would go on that one. It feels like <laughs> an extended winter, trip. it feels like. Um, alhamdulillah, we're almost out of it. Alhamdulillah. Um, it, it also reminds me of, you know, you know you made real change when, for example, a teacher who's taught a student and they come back and they they come even after they've passed they come back and that's how you know you've had a real positive effect as they always return um and so that's that's really beautiful um if you could have a dua instantly answered right now if you could have a dua answered right now what would it be oh, there's too many <laughs> <laughs> one if you get one right now that could be answered what would you ask for me, the safest dua is to be successful in this world and the hereafter, and it just encompasses everything. Mm-hmm. So I just, um, success uh, in, in the sense that for me, I, I think to see my children not suffer from what they went through. Um, I mean, when, they, when you grow up in a, in a household of um, abuse and see your mom suffering and then you grow up in a certain way and because th- then you you go and you face the community and you have to you have to raise your own children and you you take that baggage with you for mm-hmm. me I feel that I just want that to to be okay for my children I want that I I, I didn't want my children to take any um, anything with them and be themselves free of uh, mm-hmm of anything that they went through absolutely i think that's what as parents we could all want for our children is that they're free from any trauma or fear or like anything that might affect their life their future so my mom tells me every day you know so she's afraid of the most for me but yeah absolutely i know for me is you know at, at this point in my life like i have these huge you know, they call it the the BHAG, right? The big, hairy, audacious goals. And amongst that is is to be able to create some form of space through art therapy and creativity and, and healing. Um, and it's a really big image that I have. And I and I make dua that, you know, Allah facilitates it. I know it's going to be a long journey, um, but I'm ready to commit, the, you know, this next lug of my life and, and my chapter to, to be able to really dedicate to growing that, even if it takes 20 years to do it. Mm-hmm. So I just make the way that Allah connects me with the right people at the right time, right place mm. and, and facilitate that. You know, I, I'd love to be able to leave that behind. Absolutely. I mean, Inshallah. that's beautiful. For me, I think it's contentment. Mm. I just want that in <clears throat> whatever. Right. Sometimes we have these da's, may Allah give me that, may Allah give me that. And that's fine, too. It's our Lord. We can ask him for anything. But I want to be content even with the things that he doesn't decide mm. to give me. Right. And, you know, as we have older children, right, <laughs> we have these goals and hopes and dreams. Um, but then they're going to choose their path as well. So I just my da right now in life in this stage of the game is just give me that peace and contentment in my heart, wherever you have decided to put me. You know, I really resonate with that right now. At at 29, is that accepting, <laughs> you know, accepting where I'm at, you know, um, it's hard because I think a lot of people have expectations of where you need to be in life. You can imagine leaving yeah. your 20s. Bro, mm-hmm. all I'm reported is, you should have been married before kids by now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and so it, it, it can sometimes feel like a letdown, you know, to others, but... I just want to be okay with where I'm at and accept yeah, that, you know? So yeah. I want contentment as well. It's always what I ask for. I said, just be content with whatever Allah decrees for me right now at this moment, you know, instead of just living in a waiting room and, mm-hmm. and feeling like, why mm-hmm. haven't they called me up yet? 
You know, that's how it kind of feels like metaphorically to me. I feel like I'm in this massive waiting room waiting to be called up and I'm not being called. But you see people in front of you being called. And it can be a really awkward place to be in because you start to think about what's wrong with me and stuff. But why am I still waiting? Yeah, why am I still waiting? It could be like, it could be about anything, it could be about children, you know? Uh, It could feel like a waiting room, but, you know, true peace is contentment. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts Allah can give any believer. Yeah, it's contentment. Because that's what what Tawaka feels like festered in the heart. It's, yes. it's contentment. Just being you know? happy with Allah's plan. It's yeah. the it's like you know just you, oh Allah, I trust you and I'm happy with your plan. Whatever it is, I I might not not like it at this point, but yeah, this is your plan. Especially accepting the hardship. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like it's you easy might... when the times are good, but it's not that easy when the times are tough. Yeah. And you know, working at Nissa Homes, that's one thing that I've learned. Mm. You see women that have been through a lot of hardship. As you know, right? Yeah. And some women come in there with this like contentment. It leaves you in awe, right? There's this peace and contentment even within their hardship. And that's one of the things that, you know, people say, you're you're still with us at home seven years later. Yes, because part of it is for my healing, right? So that I can learn to be grateful and content with whatever I have in life. And that's how Nissa Homes gives back to me. Absolutely. I think it's it's about just having that uttermost trust in Allah and knowing that wherever I'm at in, in life right now, this is exactly where I need to be and it's written for me and, and Allah's love and mercy is there, you know, no matter where, where we are, or what we're doing, um, to just, just trust. And it's, it's hard. It's easy to say. Um, but it's, it's, it's that ongoing practice and reminder to yourself to, to really be present in that moment and, you know, express gratitude and mm. whatnot. So. I feel it's Allah's way of compensating you also if you go through a lot and when you feel that you can't take it anymore and then then this you feel content and you feel like you you are okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I feel that as I'm healing now I'm out of that situation I was closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I was going through that. Allah Akbar. And uh, yeah. I feel sometimes it I, I get scared that what's happening, you know, I'm not as focused, I'm not as close, I'm not uh, uh, as, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't feel that, that degree of uh, connection now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's Allah's gift, special gift to people who are suffering or who are going through stuff and then they still believe that this is Allah's plan. I'm just going mm-hmm. to be okay. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah. That's. I mean, I'm going to add one more. One. I, I'm tying this back to Nessa Holmes, not because I'm trying to pitch Nessa Holmes. I swear, <laughs> but because honestly, that's like that's the reason we have a place like Nessa Holmes that has that cultural and religious sensitivity p- part to it, mm-hmm. because we know during the hardest times in our lives. That's when we seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's when we go back to him. And there's even research to back this up that in the Muslim community, when we face hardships, mm-hmm. we go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We go back to our, our two things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the community. That's where we find that support and that care and that, you know, strength to keep going. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, that's that's why we have a place like this, because we know as a community, this is what we need to keep going. This is what we need to heal and to thrive, like we talked about. And And it's, you know, it's... At the end of the day, it's just, it. it is what it is. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the medicine that you need. If we know this is what we need, mm-hmm. then this is what we should be providing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what would you say, because you know, when, you know, women get married, they expect all these expectations, right? It's a lovely <laughs> home. 
obedient kids, although <laughs> they find out really early. Kids. <laughs> obedient uh, no, kids, do. right? They don't make them anymore. You know, as a 20, like me, I'm thinking, I'm going to have this lovely house and children. They're going to listen to my every word. Um, I'm going to have a loving marriage. Um, sometimes the idea of like it not meeting my expectations is, is a real fear, right? Mm-hmm. That things can go really sour. And obviously, like, uh, you know, be, coming from uh, from just a cultural background, the idea of failing in a relationship. Yeah. So it's also a huge fear, you know? And I know I, I can imagine why women might contemplate staying, you know, in, a, in something that they, they don't, they shouldn't, they know they shouldn't. So my question would be to you guys is like, uh, especially for those, for for Batul and uh, and Sobia is uh, when did you like emotionally realize you this is you had to this was couldn't go on like when did you emotionally realize like okay I I can't stay here and I don't want to stay here anymore. Um, I think when there was a complete loss of safety, mm. um, and and you knew that going forward is not going to make things any better. Mm. Um, if only it would aggravate things and make things worse. And that almost a sense of danger for your, for your mind, for your health, mental health, everything. Um, I think it was then that, that I realized, you know, I think my time is up mm. <laughs> and, and I have to do something differently. As terrifying as it is, no matter what other people are going to say, the external pressures, um, you know, I really had to sit with that, do a sahara and and seek guidance on the next steps, which were so different from my my idea of what what you know life would have led me to, mm-hmm. right? So to do something so terrifyingly different, um, and not knowing what's going to happen, that uncertainty, you know, to push past that, um, yeah, it's it's really this you know um, loss of safety that that. That made me realize that I need to wake up and um, and take these scary steps forward. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing now, but because yeah. I'm like, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Good job, girl. <laughs> yes. Good job. Like, girl, that's right. That's exactly why you're a thriver because you're at alhamdulillah. Like, you know, it's easy yeah. to look back now and be like, thank God I got out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. For me, the the biggest hurdle was myself, my mm. own my own thoughts, my own feelings, and uh, the fact that I have two girls and I have a little boy, and then uh, all the things that have been fed in our minds, um, that you, what are you going to do? You, you're responsible for keeping the, ho- the home together. You're responsible to uh, keep the family together. What's going to happen to your girls? All that, and then when my girls grew up, and they said, "Enough is enough." Uh, you know, you—the only person stopping you from your happiness is yourself, mm. and you're not responsible. You're not responsible for everything. You know, you can, you—you you did your best, and that sort of that validation coming from my kids, from my girls, it started me thinking that, yeah, this is not all right. And and also another factor was for me. Um, I thought that was my religious obligation to just mm. keep giving, keep giving, um, being happy. Like, I have to be grateful. I have to be thankful. I have to be, you know, I was told that, oh, I'm the one who got the shorter end of the stick. You know, you are, you should be grateful. You are, you mm. have a house, you have mm-hmm. kids, you have, why are you so thankless? So that, 
that mentality that kept me going and then i i mean then i couldn't uh, it uh, it's not me who left still Mm-hmm. the other person took the decision and i'm so happy i'm so thankful sometimes i hear people say that oh allah is not going to come down for you you mm-hmm. have to do something but in my case i didn't do anything allah pulled me out all i did was i started making dua mm-hmm. and i started getting in touch with my own feelings mm-hmm. i i i started paying attention to what i wanted and i started praying i started making dua and it just came in front of me allah just made it happen for me i can't thank allah enough for you know making it easy for me subhanallah so i'm in a very good place now alhamdulillah i have no regrets i did my best i gave my best i waited i couldn't have done any better so this is this is something that gives me peace and this helped me heal a lot i think that's a beautiful perspective because You know, sometimes we might not have the strength to do something. Does that mean we're doomed? You know, does that mean we're doomed as well? Um, and I love that you said that Allah SWT helped you in this, in this case. Um, even though I know it's important to tie your camel, mm-hmm. but there are opportunities where Allah SWT mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. intervene, mm-hmm. which is a great way to also, it gives you hope. Yes. There's always doors, you yes. know? Um, and all doors are still hard. To make that dua is still hard, I'm assuming. You know, it's not easy to make that dua. You know, yes. and I felt I was uh, I wasn't brave enough. I wasn't uh, I didn't have that courage to take that step and then later regret, you know. I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I want to go and help someone who would who would need this help, who would need this, you know, uh, who would need someone to tell them that mm-hmm. this is the right way you're doing the right thing, you mm-hmm. know. Absolutely. But I think I mean, if I can add, but you are brave. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Do, like going through that is brave. Making yeah. that dua, making that, yeah. you know, you might not have made that decision then, but you don't know what could have happened. And, and withstanding that, that is brave. That is strength. Like that's that's not a small feat, mm-hmm. mashallah. Like, It is not. It's to make dua for something that is really troubling mm-hmm. and asking Allah for assistance. You know, like I remember my teacher used to say, you know, we go to everyone but Allah. Yeah. about our problems you know yes. we'll go to the doctor we'll go to our parents but we won't go to Allah first and it really speaks that you went to Allah first and I'm sure that if, if it you might have had an opportunity where you've done it but Allah exited you out quicklier and that's I think that's that's beautiful to see that you know that we can go to Allah Santa for help um, and we can also find you know we can also make those step forwards as well um, but uh, speaking of like religious obligations what are some of the misconceptions about domestic violence in our community like what is it religiously and culturally that it doesn't yeah. exist yeah. That, no. mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a massive <laughs> one that's a massive one that it doesn't exist absolutely but why do we believe that the first one is to identify the the abuse like yeah. i mean emotional abuse is not even identified it's not even emotional abuse is big mm-hmm. that that that's the thing that breaks you and mm-hmm. and uh they just people don't know they are being abused i didn't know i was being abused i thought it was my duty to go to to be happy and to do what i need to do and oh i am the one making that person upset i'm the one who's not fulfilling i'm the one who's you know uh not able to keep everybody happy mm-hmm. it's not my job to keep everyone happy but that's that's abuse right there mm-hmm. we don't see it mm-hmm. 
we unless it's physical we don't it doesn't have that same weight right yes. we don't see all the other forms of abuse the emotional the financial the spiritual, spiritual all yeah. of that mm-hmm. well the women that come to us too right like unless they've endured extreme physical abuse they carry with them so much guilt around maybe i could adjust mm. right like mm-hmm. for my kids i could have he was just you know financially not providing and he used to shout and yell and he used to lock us up and maybe i could adjust mm-hmm. right so as as batul saying it's also defining what abuse means mm-hmm. you know and if we don't know that then we won't know that we're in that space of abuse and that we have the right to walk out mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of like religious obligations, like there's also this, I remember when I was in the process of, you know, contemplating on what to do next, there's a lot of pressure of like, stay for the sake of the kids. What are you thinking? You know, what's going to happen with Raymond? And, um, you know, that you need to stick together, that you need to just do subber, right? And, and it was... It was this idea that if you don't or you're not doing enough, then you're not a good enough Muslim, right? And that you have to just sit and endure and swallow it and, and accept it as what it is um, or not what it is really and more mm-hmm. like in denial mm-hmm. uh, because, they're, yeah, they're not even, you know, uh, acknowledging that this is something serious. There's this, I feel like there's an enormous pressure externally as well and, and through misconceptions of, of what is religion and what is not you know, or, or maybe it's like mud- muddied with, you know, culture, which can contradict so much from what our dean is purely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they make you seem like what you're doing is so un-Islamic. Well, and, Sophia, yeah. good point, amazing point, because our religion does not condone abuse, period. Exactly. period. Emotional, spiritual, financial, Absolutely. zero tolerance for abuse, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's that culture yeah. that passes it down and makes it okay and makes us question whether yeah. we should be more patient, whether we, we are being abused, right? If you mm-hmm. look at religion, mm-hmm. it's zero tolerance. Yeah, like I still remember being quoted all kinds of maybe unauthentic of these <laughs> or like manipulated words um, that said, you know, that... Um, for, okay, I'll give you an example as, uh, you know, if you if your husband goes to sleep angry at you, you are destined to go to hell if you mm. die in that mm-hmm. state. And I would be terrified. I would not sleep at night going, mm. if I close my eyes and I die, I'm doomed. You know, and it was exactly and it was used over and over again. Or or the idea that, you know, if uh, if a person was to bow down to anyone else besides Allah, yeah, oh, that I know this line. Oh drum roll, my please. Yes, that it would be a woman to her husband, and Subhanallah. you know, I I would be actually that was like the favorite, you know, <laughs> that was a favorite line, favorite quote mm-hmm. <laughs> of all my many years, and and because you're in that kind of bubble. Um, in a very controlled environment, you start to believe that that's your reality and that this is what Islam teaches us. So I better just, you know, keep my mouth zipped and and just deal with it. Have patience. Um, have, have patience. Have sabr. Have sabr. Mm-hmm. Another one that uh, hell uh, will be full of women mm-hmm. who yes. were thank- yes. like who were ungrateful to their husbands. Yeah. You think you you hear a lot of these things and you do not hear. Uh, the real Islam, but then again, it's on, on us to find out if it, if this is authentic or not. But everybody just quotes things that keep coming back to women mm. and not being uh, 
good, good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's all our fault. It's it's on the woman. At the end of the day, yeah. it's your fault whether you did it, whether you didn't, whether you left, whether you stayed. No matter what, I, it's on you at the end of the day. And it's it sucks because... Like there's only like you can't control other people at the end of the day. And, mm-hmm. and I want to go back to misconceptions and, and, and all of that because there's too many to list. But you guys mentioned a, a couple. There's a couple more. You know, the fact that divorce is viewed as something that's haram. Oh, like it's yeah. how can <laughs> you time. even think about divorce? Like mm-hmm. how even when there's no abuse, even the concept of divorce is is made to feel like it's haram mm-hmm, when yes. it's not. It's mm-hmm. it's a, a, an avenue for us because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows things don't always work out. And it's okay that you acknowledge that. It's not the end of the world. But that's what we're taught. We're taught that it's, (laughs) you know, the most important thing is to stay in your marriage, to stay in your home, the, the, the sanctity of the home, which is true. Obviously, there is a sanctity in the home, when the home is a safe place, when when everyone is doing their role as Islam actually prescribes it. And and to, I think, to Rina's point earlier about how we carry so much guilt, that's such a common thing that we hear that I need to go speak to an imam just so I know what I did is halal. What I did is not haram. Mm. They, like, no matter how much I tell them, no, like, you didn't do anything wrong. He kicked you out. You were on the street. What, do you, what more can you possibly do? And it's still, they still carry that guilt that it is still my fault. Yeah. No matter what, like, it's, it's it's very unfair, obviously, and it's not true. Also, just the concept of um, that idea of reaching out for help, that it's mm. wrong to reach out for help and it's wrong to intervene when you see someone going through something that we think this is private, this is happening behind closed doors. It's not, it's haram for us to go and intervene in people's personal affairs. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's uh, there's also that concept of it's haram that, you know, we... Um, like we don't know the full story. We don't know both sides mm. of the story and yeah. all of that stuff. And it's also wrong for us to um, when when someone when something is happening that we actually try to do something about it. That you know yeah. we talked about sabr. Um, I lost my train of thought completely, yeah. but that was all a mush of ideas. If anyone yeah. wants to make sense of it, no. But uh, to your initial the first idea or the second th- um, thought that you shared was um, it really was when I talked to a very balanced shape. Mm. And and he told me that you cannot stay in this situation. It's hurting you and it's harming you. You need to leave. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's awesome. But I've Where never heard he? that in my life. Actually, uh-huh. I think he, yeah, he yeah. does work he with us. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the power of validation. <clears throat> and, right? and suddenly yeah. my, I'm, like literally I felt a weight lift off my shoulders. And I was like, I could breathe easier. I'm like. So you're validating my experience and it's totally okay what I've done. He was absolutely wow. you need to keep your kids safe. And and that's when I I, I I just got to really embrace that decision and just move forward with it. Um, which is alhamdulillah great that I got that support. But what if people didn't get that support? Like mm. why are we waiting for that validation? Right. And and I think there's there's a group of people that really emphasize on uncertain teachings but manipulate it and mm. i think that's such a dangerous thing to to manipulate the words of allah and the prophet sallallahu to awesome. use for your own personal means and gains mm. and you're hurting and harming people <clears throat> excuse me and you're hurting and harming people um so to see another side of it where there are a group of you know religious leaders that are speaking against this and are working hard to reteach um the community about what islam is actually truly teaching us um you know there's there's a real um 
Movement. Movement, yes, in the, in that in that form, and I'm I'm super grateful that I had connected with a certain um, imam, and and it allowed me to actually connect a lot of other sisters that came through me to him. I said, you know what, this is the one person you need to talk to <laughs> yeah. because there are other people or, or people in religious you know leadership positions that that tell you otherwise. You yeah, know, they'll say no, stay. You have to stay for the sake so of the kids. Oh, that happened to me yeah. twice. I went to two uh, different sheikhs and. Both of them were like, uh, you're okay, you know, because this person, unfortunately, he also calls himself scholar mm. of Islam, and they, they connected, and then I, I looked like the person who's complaining and who's not being reasonable. Uh, so not everyone is uh, lucky. Um, maybe I wasn't smart enough to reach out on my own. I don't know, but I wasn't lucky um, enough to 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 go to the right person. So it it dragged me for another couple of years. Mm. But that's the thing. That's yeah. that's part of the that's part of the abuse, right? He isolated you. He you you only knew what you knew through that, right? So I don't I don't think it was you not knowing. It was that was by design, right? By mm-hmm. design, you know the imams that he knows, and and and. That's a huge part of it. How many times, Rina, do we have clients that come to us at Nissa Homes? I went to an imam 10, 20 years ago and he told me to stay. Took me 10, took me 10 20 years to build up that courage again to reach oh out for help. Yeah. Can you imagine what they went through with that 10, 20 years? Like how, and, and that's what makes or break someone. Like you don't, like you're lucky <clears throat> to have been able to get out mm-hmm. after 10, 20 years. We know people, like we know people that don't get, don't make it out. They yeah. don't make it out. Right. And Batul, you said, you know, you said the the statement, maybe I wasn't strong enough, right? I mm-hmm. want to challenge that for you as well, mm-hmm. because you went mm-hmm. and it wasn't yeah. your fault that you got misguided. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Those people who advise these women to stay are not strong enough to stand up to the huck, to the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is they should be supporting the women that are being oppressed mm-hmm. by people. That goes back to the barriers that we have in our religion and uh, not in our religion, in our community. Sorry, mm-hmm. not in our religion at all, but in our community in that we have to always, I, I mentioned this earlier, that the two sides of the story and that we have to, um, you know, we can't just take one person's word for it. We have to find out. And at the end of the day, we have to um, uh, like he looks like he's OK. He looks like he volunteers. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's part of the mosque. Oh he's part God. of the community. How can he be bad at home? No, no. You, you, you might, maybe, maybe something happened. Maybe mm-hmm. it was a bad day. That's what we always want to justify, right? We don't want to believe that this person that you know prays next to us in the mosque or leads the prayer could possibly be someone that hurts his wife at home or even gives talks about not hurting your wives mm-hmm. and he it's does this at home, right? But that's the reality that it can happen to anyone. It can happen anywhere. And it happens outside the Muslim community, obviously, just as much. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that concept of, you know, just because it's happening behind closed doors, you don't know what's going on. You don't mm-hmm. know how this person is behind behind Absolutely. closed doors. Absolutely. And I think uh, it is so sad to hear that, like, our appointed religious leaders have fallen short and fallen short so many times by so many people. Um, and this is exactly why some of these issues continue to persist in the Muslim community. That's exactly why. Because when they are seeking help, they're not getting the help. And then they're not speaking up after because that took everything in them to do it. Right? And it's just, and oh, it just, if it, 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 this, is, this is stuff that kind of infuriates me totally. And what would you say, before I ask this question actually, before you got married, what did you picture marriage was going to be like? 
A walk in the park. Mm. <laughs> Very Sydney flowery this. park. Mm. Oh, oh, loving. <laughs> and, and it would just be something that you grow old and gray with, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like those old couple holding hands. Mm. But there was a point where I realized... And I and it's sad to say now, but I learned to accept that my reality was going to be different and it's not going to be like that. But I still accepted the fact that this is how I'm going to die and it's going to be okay. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah, that was, I mean, it hurts me now to think that I, you know, with the layers and layers of teachings that we have had as girls and you know, these limiting beliefs that I had for myself, the lack of confidence made me think of such a bleak future and and still be okay with it. So alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to be in a place where I can actually see really bright ideas and future now. <laughs> and, and it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm even though I have this terrifying goal for myself, I am okay to to strive for that and more, inshallah, um, till the day of my last breath, inshallah, right? And and I think that's why I've just, I've taken a major turn in my life from, mm-hmm. from having that bleak future and, and acceptance of that future to saying, no, there's so much more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And even beyond this, Allah probably has even more than what I can even dream of. And I'm so excited every day to see what, what, what reveals next in in my life, the exciting things and the people I get to meet and conversations I get to have. And, and really it's like, you know, I, I'm living in color now and, and it feels Amazing. I'm just imagining the color, straight. color, <laughs> color. That's probably why I wow. wear a lot of sparkles now. Like I'm just living my full life, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. day day by day, and it, it's just day and night from how I lived before. Oh, and it feels yeah. great. Oh. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. You know, because I'm I'm still going through the phase where I'm. Um, in the process of healing, uh, some days are good, some days are not that good. And uh, can I add to the previous um, uh, question? So um, I went to a sheikh, and he I, and I told him very clearly that he said uh, divorce three times, mm-hmm. and we are done. And he said, "No, I take responsibility. Go back with this man and make your <gasps> home." Subhanallah. And this person has a masjid and he's a sheikh. And I, I and he said, when I tell oh, you no. that you have to go back with this man and make your home and make your family work, I was at that point, I was very confused. I was really confused. And he said that shaitan is telling you to break your home. And I it's my responsibility. Yeah. What so, did you do? You didn't even do anything. He's the one that gave you the divorce. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so I shouldn't. I shouldn't make them angry. Shouldn't make them say those words. So, for me, it's. I'm still in the process where I go back someday. I think of think about something, and then I go back, and and I, and then I say, no, I'm okay now. Mm-hmm. I'm all right. I'm going to be okay. I can, I can do whatever I I I want to do now, and um, I I I mean. There is a struggle, of course, but I'm ready for it. Yeah. I feel I'm ready for it. Yeah. yeah. May Allah Sh'atah, uh, continue to bless your healing. Make it easy you. for you. 
what are speaking of healing what are the ugly parts of healing like what are the parts of healing that's ugly that um people might not expect that it is healing you know because it feels so difficult what do you think is a difficult part of healing the loneliness mm. the yeah. loneliness i think with with me is that <clears throat> i for such an extended period of time you know years two decades basically is i numb myself through every experience i never acknowledged it for what it was and i just kind of just motion through the days and never allowed myself to process or feel or acknowledge even have words of expression of of even being able to name what i'm feeling i didn't have any of those tools and it was after you know that that i fi- i decided to leave um and i started therapy was when i i finally got to face these experiences one by one. I I can say to this point now after 4 or 5 years of therapy and and doing a lot of inner work and kind of self-educating myself um I've almost like a cat uh like a catalog. I've been able to go through each and every one of those experiences and had to process through everything one by one by one by one and that imagine 20 years of that so it was painful mm. <laughs> um it was it was tough to have to go back to those experiences revisit them feel it and allow myself whatever time i needed to to fully feel it name it just really get ugly in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cry ugly like oh, one of my friends said, you know, Sobia sometimes what I used to do was put on really sad music mm. and just cry and cry and like really purge mm-hmm. yourself and I'm like that's insane. Are you serious? She's like, yeah, just give it a try. And I did. I would I would literally give myself a time in the day. Okay, this is where I'm going to do it. And I would just go in my room and just <laughs> just yeah. let it rip. Yeah. Um and it seemed odd at that time and 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 I'm like what am I doing but I'm looking back now I'm like how the lie got to do that because otherwise if you haven't processed those experiences they linger mm-hmm. and they they manifest in different ways in the way you might be interacting with people you might be projecting your fears onto healthier interactions that you might have afterwards and and that processing and sitting with it and really getting ugly with it is mm-hmm. so necessary and it feels gross at the mm-hmm. time but it it's it's so beautiful when you finally have gone through that experience and that process and and one by one the load just starts lightening one mm-hmm. at a time at mm-hmm. a time at a time and so alhamdulillah i'm i'm really grateful to to have done that and i can actually say that i've i've gone through each and every one of those and and have worked through it mm-hmm. i'm not saying i'm healed mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't think that's i don't know like i i think that healing is a, is a is a is a lifelong process mm-hmm. i don't think it'll ever come to a I point where like i think you reach a finish line I'm right i'm done yeah. <laughs> you know it's something that'll they'll be with me because yeah. it's my lived experience and you know but how do you how do you cope with it and how do you manage those feelings and how do you still allow yourself to enjoy the moments that yeah. you're going through the new things um and being excited about it and not living through a filtered lens anymore mm-hmm. crystal clear you know yeah. so 
It's it's worth it. Yes, it's ugly, but it's it's worth the process and the work and having some um, professional guidance through it. I, if you know, I mean, that's a different concept. Uh, you know, con- conversation about accessibility as well to mm-hmm. mental health support and whatnot. But when you do have that resource, alhamdulillah, I think it's it's so so important. And I'm I'm so grateful that yeah. Nissa Homes has. Um, you know th- those services as well to help families heal in holistically in in all aspects. I think we talked about earlier. You know where emotional and psychological abuse you can't see it, mm-hmm. um, but it it stores in the body. You know if you look at and and somatic trauma and whatnot, like it literally stores in your body. And how can we sort of work through that with guidance and with psychotherapy and mm-hmm. professionals who can help you unlock that and release it? Um, so important. Did you know that every day over 5,700 children become orphans? That's nearly 2 million plus children in a year who have no family, no support, and nobody to turn to. Which is why we have partnered up with Islamic Omar Relief, a U.S.-based NGO that is actively providing for the needs of orphans, widows, and the needy working on humanitarian projects in Ghana, Nigeria, Niger, Uganda, and Togo. With your help and generosity, these last 10 days of Ramadan, we'll be able to house these orphans and provide a safe place for them to live in. Visit launchgood.com forward slash TDS10 to make a donation towards building a house for an orphan today. I'd love to give a little bit of an update. Last week in Nora's episode, we said we wouldn't drop part two unless we met our fundraising goals. A fundraising for 138 women and youth um, to develop employable skills in Medego, Kenya. Um, our fundraising goal is at 25K. I mean, we're almost there, kind of. I still believe we can do it, guys. I still believe we could get there. We could get there. We just, if everyone, actually, give me one second. I'm going to tell you another update. There was exactly, if I'm being completely accurate, let's see here. If I'm being completely accurate, in Nura's episode, we had over 33,000, actually, no. We had 39,000 people stream Nora's episode. If every single one of y'all gave a dollar, y'all would probably had part two by Thursday. Okay? You would have had part two by Thursday. If every single one of you, if you just gave a dollar, subhanAllah. So I'm encouraging even just a dollar. If today you go on the link, donate just a dollar, subhanAllah. We can get to our fundraising goals the before even Friday. So inshallah, if you're listening, strap up your waist, donate whatever you can, even if it's a dollar. And if you can't donate, khair, share it. Let, ask others if they're interested in donating and giving for the sake of Allah SWT. The, night, the last 10 nights is not over. We're still in the race and there's still opportunities to seek Allah's forgiveness. So donate, 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 even if it's a dollar, inshallah. And we can get part two out to you guys. I actually have a question for Rina, actually. How does someone who is in a you know in a in a relationship with someone that's violent you know emotional physical and they're in a bad place mental health wise like you know, doesn't our mental health also contribute to our decisions you know 100% so how does somebody who's in a dark place 
get out of that if they're mentally in a dark space. Right. And so, you know, one thing we have to understand is anytime that we are in a difficult situation like abuse, right, mm-hmm. we are already compromised in terms of our ability to make decisions. Yeah. So a lot of women say, you know, how did I take it for 20 years? Why didn't I leave sooner? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I could have. I saw my children suffer. We suffered. I should have. And I could have all those questions that we have. So we have to understand something about trauma is when you're in that situation, your ability to make decisions is compromised. Okay. Um, scans show that, you know, the frontal part of your brain that we use for functioning, yeah. you know, decision making, planning is compromised when you're undergoing trauma. Okay. So and so <clears throat> many women that come to Nisa Homes, you know, when we do that psychoeducation bit, right, it's liberating. Mm. Oh, that, that guilt, that shame of, okay, it wasn't my fault. I, I didn't contribute to this. I wasn't able to. So when I tell women, trust me, you weren't able to. That's why you didn't do it. Right? Wow. Um, so that's the first part about understanding how trauma affects our decisions, you know, our decision-making ability. Now, the second part of what you said is, you know, how does someone who's already in a dark place um, and then is being abused and then has mental health issues, you know, this is where I say, our community matters, mm. right? Yeah. This is where your friendships, your community matters. This person might go once to seek help. Mm-hmm. Be that person that guides them to the right place, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe they'll talk themselves into staying, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they have other underlying medical or mental health conditions that will prevent them from making that move. But if you're watching, you're listening, you're paying attention, Right. As a friend, as a community member, as a neighbor, you can help that person. Mm-hmm. You know? So educate ourselves. Be safe mm-hmm. for these women and children. Note, notice what's happening in your community. Don't take the blind eye and just ignore mm-hmm. a woman yeah. crying. Yeah. You know, ask her if she's okay. And how many times do we get called in from the, at the masjid? There's a random woman that's just crying there, doesn't have anywhere to go. SubhanAllah. Yeah. And how? How can you, like, I mean... Let's talk about how can you, as as a as a friend, as a, a family yes. member, what do you do mm-hmm. if you see someone who's going through something like that? That's a really good question because I feel like there's a lot of us that have seen it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and it's true. Everyone like there's I think there was a campaign that everyone knows someone. Yeah, and the, the, the statistics show that most people know someone, someone who's experiencing that has it. Gone through it. But yeah. how do we do it? Well, how, first of all, the first thing I think of is my safety, right? Because mm-hmm. I think about good, like, good, yeah. well, if he knows that I know what's going on. What, is it, what does that mean for me? And then sometimes I also have this fear where if I tell my friend, hey, I know this is a bad situation and you're not talking about it, that she's going to tell me I'm crazy and I'm lying and I'm trying to break up her marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a real fear. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. That to talking to a friend and possibly might be in denial. Yeah. And then you start to doubt yourself. Like, did I even see what I saw? Right. You know, you start to even doubt yourself. I'm like, am, yeah. I, am I sure I'm, I, I'm, I'm qualified to recognize domestic violence? But you know, you're qualified to recognize brokenness, yeah. suffering, mm-hmm. pain, pain, right? Mm-hmm. You're qualified as a human being to recognize those states and those emotions. Mm-hmm. And so we always, always have to ask ourselves, like, do I want to be that person that goes, I'm too afraid of harming my friendship, mm-hmm. right, by asking that question and take the risk of, oh, I'll find out that something horrible happened to that person. Yeah. yeah right. So you might have to take your friendship to the test, to the to the to yeah. that place you don't want it to go. And you'll you might have to risk losing that friendship for a time because remember I just said that that person's ability to make proper decisions at that time is compromised. Mm. Maybe five years down the road she'll come and say thank you for what you did. Mm. Right? Um and also when you tell that person I recognize, then they'll notice someone's noticing. 
Yeah. Right. Mm. There's someone I can go to. So maybe the first time you said it, she didn't. She cut you out. Mm -hmm. But when she's at that place where she finally says, I'm done, mm -hmm. she'll remember, oh, Rena asked me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you just mean to, to come to your question of the how. That's why the education piece is so important. Find out the resources. Find out who you can connect them to. I always tell people, don't be, don't go rescue ranger on people. You could mm -hmm. mess things up, mm -hmm. right? But find out the people that do it and connect them mm -hmm. to those people because we know we're trained on how to safely help somebody leave their home. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's about being there for them. Look, at the end of the day, when someone comes to you, they're not asking you to solve the problem. They're asking you to be there for them. Mm -hmm. They're asking you to support them. They're asking you to believe them, right? Mm -hmm. Just that validation, I think you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, just that knowing, yes, I believe you. No, it's not in your head. No, you're not crazy. No, it's not your fault. Just hearing that, it might not make that difference that day. They might not choose to leave that day, yeah. but that's what your role is then as, as a support person, as someone who understands this is happening, you know that you have to be patient. Mm -hmm. This is a process. I think the statistic is that it takes a woman on average seven, seven. attempts of leaving wow. before she actually can leave. So you have to be that person that, yeah, you you got to be there. She'll say, no, you know, you're, you're horrible. Oh my God, you're trying to break up my marriage. And then two days later, she'll call you. Yeah, you know, can, can you help me with this or that? And that's your role is to just be patient with it and, and, you know, support them however they want. At the end of the day, this is their decision. At the end of the day, I can't tell her to stay and I can't tell her to leave. And that's I'm what I was going to add to yeah. right there, right? Yeah. Like in my profession, how many times we'll work with a woman and then she'll say, I think I'm going back. Mm. You have to. Right? Yeah. So, so my job that. is not to pull you out and rescue you and no. put you in this home. No. My job is to be there for you as a human being, as a sister. Mm. If you decide to stay, as an adult, you mm -hmm. decide that I want that. What, what's my role? Mm -hmm. right? I can just be there with you while you make this decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can still continue to be there and support you because I know you're, you're going back to a situation that you might need my help again. And I, I will have to be patient. It's hard. It's yeah. hard seeing those women yeah. go back sometimes. I'm like, no, like, I no. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to be there. You have to support them. And, and because I, I know the journey. I know that this is part of their process, part of their journey. And, and one of the main misconceptions about Nissa Homes is that we break up families, that, yeah. you know, People come to us and they were like, yeah, yeah, leave your home. Come, come. Yeah. We would never do that. We know how hard it is. It's such a difficult journey to leave. It's such a difficult journey to restart your whole life, to leave behind everything you hold near and dear. It is never a choice that we make for someone. Most of the time when women come to us, this is their last option. They're either out on the streets, they're, they're you know completely unsafe in their homes they're locked in the closet and trying to call us from the closet these are situations where I can't be like no no just you know wait or whatever at the end of the day it's safety first and I have to make sure that they're safe and they make that choice but we don't go and knock on people's door and tell them just just come to Nissa Homes mm -hmm. that doesn't make they're any not sense endorsing and, and, exactly, and yeah. by the by the time they come to Nissa Homes the house is already broken the family's yeah. already broken you're not reaching out to a shelter because you have a bad day mm -hmm. you're reaching out when things cannot cannot continue yeah or you can't go back. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had a question for you, actually. What is it like, Yasmin? Okay. What is it like to see a person who is experiencing some severe stuff and then decide to go back? I can imagine that's like, that it's must be really hard to see them walk out. It's, it is very heartbreaking. We, we've had situations where... It, We've had people that have reached out to us and have passed away afterwards oh, and after they chose to go back uh, or not passed <sighs> away, sorry, that were killed, that yeah. were yeah. like just plainly killed by their abuser. So it is it is 
oh my god it's the hardest thing i it's the hardest thing i've ever been through personally um and i and i, I can't do anything right you're you're the only thing i can do is be like okay i'm here for you i know you're going back but i'm still here for you please call me please reach out to me whenever you need anything but it is such a hard especially if there's kids involved especially if you know what's going on and and you know i can talk a bit a lot about like systemic issues and why mm-hmm. these women choose to do that yeah obviously part of it is is that their personal trauma but a big part of it is the way that society is right now the way the community is the way that the system is it's extremely unaffordable no one can afford we're talking about like mm. rental prices of you know two thousand dollars for a be- one bedroom like who can afford that when you're you know you're just starting your life again we're talking about welfare that's six hundred dollars what is that supposed to get them What what are they supposed to afford? No, for Toronto rent is two thousand dollars. That yes. we're we're talking about That's a bedroom. Yeah, yeah. That, this is okay. We're talking about a bedroom, a bedroom where you share everything, including a washroom, paying eight hundred dollars. Eight hundred dollars. That's more than what you get on welfare. And people come; yes. they have the audacity to say, "Oh, these people are just you know taking welfare." Every woman we've had has worked her has worked her hardest to get her life back in order. They come to us and like, please help me find a job. I want to get back. Yeah. I want to get back to my life. I want to start doing something. No one ever wants to live on welfare where they can they cannot even meet their basic needs. And, and it's not of, just Toronto. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. It's not just Toronto. It's all over Canada. Yeah. Living yeah. And, and especially now, the cost of living is extremely unaffordable. So they make this choice not out of wanting to go back, out of necessity. I either live on the streets or live in poverty and have my children grow up in poverty. Or I go back and at least, yeah, it's abuse, but at least I have a roof over my head and food on the table. Yeah, I'm, I'll share my perspective on that. I've actually never spoken about this and I forgot about it until you brought it up. It, it's... It's the limitations of even when you apply. Like I had to look at that. I, I did go and pl- apply for welfare to see if mm-hmm. you know what can I do, and you can you cannot earn a certain amount, um, and it's a very tiny threshold to to even ex- to be uh, applicable for welfare. So I was like, I, I was in this debating situation of okay, they're going to fully control my life come in they're gonna have to check in with the kids and know where they're going and what's happening and know the finer details of my life and I can only make a certain amount I think it was like $300 yeah right okay because I'm like it's been a while and I was so terrified I was literally traumatized by that experience going into the office and I'm like how can I not let myself try to earn more than that and do I now like cheat the system or do I kind of like do it under the table And and I had to really sit with that going, yes, I desperately need money right now to, to be able to pay my bills and, and whatnot. But I'm like, I still won't get enough money. And I still have to force myself to stay within the means to still be able to get this money. Um, it's a cycle of poverty, right? Yes. It's oh, my God. It, it sounds like a cycle. It was a cycle. And, oh I, and I had such severe anxiety trying to figure out what do I do, though? <laughs> I have no education. Like I mentioned, I hadn't even finished high school, three kids in tow, and I'm completely on my own. And so I I had to make this brave decision that, you know what, I'm just going to have to work my butt off and start earning money. Figure it out. Just figure it out. And one thing at a time, just hustle, hustle, hustle. And, And that's what I had to do to... To be able to, you know, earn enough to pay my next bill, 
you know, get food on the table. And uh, even though it was a very scary experience because I'm like, what can I do with, with the minimal resources that I have of myself, my skills, education? Um, you know, what can I do? And, and I guess having an entrepreneurial side uh, or experience that I've grown up with and, and my father actually running his own business, et cetera, um, I, I have like an entrepreneurial spirit. So I, I just started to create ideas <laughs> and services. And, you know, through this previous business that I uh, that I have been running for a while, I had learned marketing services. Mm. And I said, okay, I think I can write well enough. Mm-hmm. So let me provide, mark, uh, you know, copywriting services and social media stuff. And, you know, just, I guess the... the the, you know, the, the basics of marketing. I understand it enough that I think I have a slighter, uh, you know, more understanding of it than, than an average person that might not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started from scratch. And, and it was after that that slowly, slowly, and I guess through Allah's mercy that I got to work with some really big clients. And your hard work too. I, I mean, <laughs> you worked, you worked I did hard. work hard. Yeah. I did. I was, I was just nonstop. I'm like, cause I knew that feeling of that, that feeling of humiliation walking through mm. those doors for welfare. I was like, I'm not doing that again. You know, and, I, <sighs> can I just say that mashallah, beautiful, it's such a beautiful story and you worked really hard to get to where you are. And these are success stories. Um, and then I also work with people at Nisa Homes that, let's say, don't speak English, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. they don't have... Or have young kids who, you know, have yeah. to pay for childcare. And... and so we talk about this perpetuation of the cycle, right? So we're forcing them into then labor jobs that are either, you know, under the table, mm-hmm. yes. working mm-hmm. for cash jobs, cleaning mm-hmm. and getting Even... abuse there. And so we're sending them back into this, like, whirlwind yeah and you're asking of them oppression to, a different form of it oppression is too, it, it right? definitely puts you in a place of vulnerability 100 and then these people there could be you know predatory people who have the upper hand to be able to manipulate and use that and, they and are, abuse right? that so yeah, we've seen that yeah. at nissa mm-hmm. homes where mm-hmm. women will go and do these cash jobs and we don't condone them or push them yeah. or connect them but they out of desperation mm-hmm. will find them through links mm-hmm. and then they're coming back because now they got abuse at a workplace yeah. oh no yeah Absolutely. And it's too, because like on top of that is another layer of like, like let's say that you are a new mom, right? And you mm-hmm. need to also work um, and you need to also find childcare. You're yeah. working a labor you don't job. Have, you don't have family. Yeah, you don't have family. Support. And then you're also, for example, experiencing discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're experiencing Islamophobia. Yep. They're preventing you from praying salah, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. it's almost like they're trying to strip everything from you. Mm-hmm. Even your sense of iman. Yeah, you know, it was Iman that got them out, you know, the, the, this this idea of tawakkul. And then here they're at a workplace hoping to gain some stability, and now they can't pray. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard so many stories of women who left, you know, abusive relationships, started to work a labor job, and then that labor job was also oppressing them mm-hmm. and abusing them in a different form, and it just feels like they just exchanged one abuse for another. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder, why did they go back? Yeah. So, yeah. like, th- this is, like... How do we like? How do we fix this? It's like I know this sounds so crazy, but like, how do what can we much. what can we do as? Because it, this is from everywhere, bro. Like it's also from religious institutions, from leaders who shouldn't, who don't seem like they're qualified, and then there are these women who are just trying to figure out a way forward. You know what I'm saying? And then they're also dealing with the stigma and, and probably the fear of telling people they're at a, at a shelter. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that yeah, too, because yeah, yeah. I know a lot of women that were 
that were in my school, my age. Okay, and by the way, there's also this misconception that domestic violence only happens to older women. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. that it doesn't happen to young women who are in young relationships or and all that stuff. So I remember there was a girl who used to come to my class and she, I didn't know where she was going. She just seemed like she was going home and coming back. Um, but one day she couldn't make it to her presentation. And so the teacher asked her, like, uh, what is your issue? Like, why are you, if you don't give me a valid reason as to why you're late, I'm going to have to give you a zero. Oh my God. And uh, she started crying. Um, and uh, she left the room and and the teacher was just very brutal. And I remember it was just very brutal. And I went to her and I said, yo, like, what's going on? Like, is there any way I can help you? And I didn't know she had children or anything like that. She said she was staying at a shelter. That she didn't even have enough token to get to class. And the reason why she's even going to school is to make something out of herself. Yeah. And and here's this teacher. And she feels embarrassed to even tell the teacher, as young as she is, to go to ask her questions like, where's your parents? Mm-hmm. You know, that's humiliating. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, to even go back and tell people why you come from a broken home, why are you going... That's traumatizing, to, first of all, to all of it to unpack. And to reveal to a complete stranger is a lot to ask. And And that was her situation. I just remember thinking, like... I didn't even, she was doing all the things she needed to do to get help. And yet that was hard. You know, I couldn't even add anything to it. Yeah. You know, I thought about like, uh, you know, offering. And, I, and you obviously have to give these people dignity and respect. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, to say, hey, you know, I could do this for them. You know, it was, I was trying to do things that weren't obvious. And there's other options you know, too, uh, right? You, like, I can watch your kids. I yes, can, you know, exactly. I can, uh, you know, leave them with me while you need to study yeah. or I can and drop you, you know, off. And that's and what I did. Like, she brought the kid and I waited outside while she did her presentation. But the, you see, they were, these were these options you can obviously present. But like, it's coming from everywhere. It, it, women are getting it from everywhere. Yeah. And I want to talk about the Islamophobia part, yeah. if you don't mind. But, yeah. but that's one of the things that also holds women back here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's two sides to it. The first side is that, you know, as a Muslim community, a lot of times when they see Nissa Homes, it's this like, oh, you're you're perpetuating the, the, con- the misconception that women, Muslim women are abused, which doesn't make sense because we're, we're doing something about it, right? Yeah. We're, we're actually, as a Muslim Why community, are we are doing it, it right? Why we are, are you doing We are doing the opposite of saying it's okay. We're doing, we're saying it's not okay and we're having a, a service for that. But on the flip side, a lot of the women that come to us, they've reached out for help from other mainstream services and they've experienced Islamophobia, which again, you know, you're, you're already leaving behind so much. There's, it's already a struggle as it is. I don't want my, my, my choice, my faith, my, my iman to be questioned and I don't want to have to deal with that and have to justify to you no my religion doesn't say that no I'm not supposed to no this is not okay mm. I'm already going through enough I just need the help right I don't need you to be another obstacle on my way or another you know or even that you know that idea that I don't want to feed into that stereotype I don't want them to see me at a shelter as a Muslim woman and say oh yeah that's you know mm. that's because Islam does that you know they, they mm. that that's holds them back holds a lot of women back too because we don't want to make it seem like that's the way that, you know, our religion is, which it is not, but that's what Islamophobia does, right? Mm-hmm. Something I was thinking about, just even on talking about homelessness, something I've also seen, maybe you guys can provide more clarity on this, is women who experience homelessness are single, mm-hmm. who get married for stability, mm-hmm. and that who are find themselves kind of cornered to marry. You know, like they, they're cornered to marry something, Someone or new converts. Too. Yeah, that's, I see that a lot. So I was gonna, converts. I was gonna add that, and that's I saw another layer I didn't see until like recently about um, revert sisters being, I would say, coerced into relationships. You know, wow. promising them stability. 
Yes, or right? a way and out Islam, of yeah, an abusive yeah. family that you know right. that's not accepting Islam. So come, come marry here. me. I and will, in reality, you know. they do. They 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 they, marry, they They target reverts, right? Mm-hmm. They target them it's because they, they know they don't have. Exactly. They'll say that they don't have community or family. Yeah, and that's why you know you touch on an important factor that community. It's mm. so important. At Nissa Homes, do I see revert young girls, eighteen plus, that got married and within a year or two are now facing divorce because they've gone through immense amount of abuse. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. that is their story, right? That mm-hmm. we left our home and this person promised us to teach us Quran and to teach us Islam and to bring us in the community. And I'm a revert myself. And I mm-hmm. remember when I came into Islam, it's what you want. You leave your entire life behind. Yeah, Right? You're rejected after so many years. So you find this community and this is what reverts want. They want to be welcomed. Yeah. Um, and so, again, community supports mm. are key in this mm-hmm. fight against DV mm-hmm. and homelessness in our community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, I, I, I knew a story about a revert sister who had married a brother. But the bro- what the brother was offering wasn't a good deal. And that's why and willies are important to say, no, nope, this, is, this is not a great candidate. You know, that's what willies are supposed to do. They're supposed to advocate for the sister. And there is just so many moments where the advocation has fallen short. And a matter of fact, I would even argue that the, the person who's supposed to be Willie is actually encouraging it. Mm. Yeah, on the side of the brother. And it was mm. a sister that saw the matter and stood up and said, what are you guys doing? This is not even, this is not even, she's a child. Like you're, you're saying, you're stipulating that she had to give up her rights of being provided for Right, if because she was gonna be, you know, she was gonna marry uh, him, who's gonna she was gonna be a second wife, that she should get all of these ridiculous, forcing it, saying nobody else is gonna have you, so yeah. this is your best option. Yeah. And Subhanallah, like, if it wasn't for the sister to say this is not true, you know, if it was, and she was at Ustada, she she came to her for advice, which is which brings me to the next part about having women mm-hmm. in these spaces, right? Yeah. Women also being um, counselors and advisors. Um, with a religious background with that reli- with validate. Yeah. And there needs to be a balance so though, right? Because right now it's, it just seems that there's only men that women go to. But why isn't there women that women go to? Yeah. Why isn't that more? Why isn't it like a, like, why don't they have offices that are masjid? You know? Just so they give offices for the brothers. Right? Why won't they balance it with the sisters? Knowing women's issues. Right? Why isn't that an option? It's just it, it it really blows my mind, given the fact that of how many how persistent this issue is in our community. You and know, you know, we talk about the importance, and Islam is so big on children, mm. right? And so, if we talk about protective factors, if we're not going to protect these women, then ultimately we're affecting a generation. That you know, we know that kids who have witnessed violence and mm. gone through violence themselves are twice as likely to experience. Uh, mental health issues and suicide ideation and also you know problems in school and things like that so just from witnessing abuse right just clarity just just witnessing witnessing it not experiencing I'm wondering like you know when we're talking about protecting our umma and our children this is part of the package protect those children we're protecting their moms and giving them those spaces to thrive and to to integrate back into society properly so these children can have another chance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I work I, with so many, yeah. so many survivors of domestic violence mm-hmm. um, and thrivers of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And the children suffer a lot. They do. And 
I think um, one powerful thing I think I witnessed in my own journey is when I started to focus on my own healing, because I had to start from scratch, right? And I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do me and the kids and everything else. Let me just literally start from myself. And then when the time is right and I'm in a better headspace, I can work on my children's healing. Yeah. And so when I started to do that and I was on my own path of, of healing and, and processing all of these experiences and, and kind of, um, uh, you know, doing my own inner work, I realized that in itself was such a powerful way <clears throat> to heal my kids. And I'm going to add to that because part of the biggest <laughs> yeah. work I do, I work with women. Why? Because yeah. when I work with women, especially yeah. with younger children, mm -hmm. and yeah. they always say, no, my child has witnessed this. Help them, Rena. Mm -hmm. Help them. And mm -hmm. I say, you know what? I'm going to work on you. Yes. Let's work on you. When I regulate, help regulate that woman and bring her back, her child starts to come back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable I... the influence a woman's healing, a mother's healing can have on that child. Subhanallah. Yeah, I, I mean, I attest to that mm -hmm. because I, I've noticed a complete um, metamorphosis of, of our entire home environment and my children and their mindsets mm -hmm. and, mashallah, the way they're exceeding um, and, and, you know, thinking, also dreaming big for themselves yeah. and having that vision. And, and I realized that it started from from my healing yeah. and because there was a while where I was like oh but what do I do with the kids what yeah. do I do for them what do I do for them but I'm looking back now and I'm so grateful that I had started for myself first and that in itself just radiated to their life and the home environment and creating that safe space for them where they can finally thrive as well mm -hmm. and believe in themselves and 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 just all of us just having a healthy form of communication and developing new routines and rituals that that can pave the path for their healing as well. And and now, you know, I, I see, like, we actually talk about this sometimes, you know, where we're like, you know, if someone's feeling down in the family, we're all, like, kind of advocating, <laughs> like, you're so great, you're doing awesome, <laughs> this is so good, it's that. okay, it's okay if you're feeling like this, we're here for you. And, and I was like, wow, I like... Four years ago, five years ago, this was not non-existent in our home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, alhamdulillah, like even as I was coming here, you know, my son came to the door and, and actually kind of walked me to the door and he gave me such a huge hug. He's like, you're going to do so great. This is <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> and he's like, good luck. And this is going to be an awesome day for you, mama. And I was like, oh. <laughs> 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 that's how we change the narrative. Yeah. Right? Your Absolutely. son came. When my, when my boys were younger, um, I remember Yasmin and I, we used to like, you know, travel to, we were called into this mission in this place yeah. and go rescue this person and go. <laughs> and so my kids used to think we were like vigilantes, right? Because like, <laughs> Where you going, oh, Mama? I'm games. going to work. <laughs> I didn't know where I work, the address, location, what I. We just did, and so they would always wonder. Like she come, she leaves at 11 p.m. She comes yeah. back at 2 a.m. Like, what does she do? Right? Like, is she Batman? <laughs> Um, and as they grew older, um, yeah. we had we have those conversations, right? So what, part of change too is having these conversations with our children, with our boys. Yeah, huge. Mm. Uh, and so they know their mom is a domestic violence mental health advocate. 
Yeah, and they're proud of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and they volunteer in the and they, well, Yeah, they're yeah. So, they raise money and they like sell oh, things so at school to raise money. It's oh, the cutest thing ever. Amazing. But also with our girls, like yeah. our girls, yes. you talked about this, Sobia. We're, yeah. we're, we teach our girls, we teach our boys to, to be so confident and to be so strong, and you know, you can do anything. And then we teach our girls, no, you have to focus on being married. You have oh, to focus God, on, yeah. uh, you be know, nice don't be too quiet. smart, don't be too outspoken, don't be too this, don't be too that. So then, when they're in an abusive relationship, they think this is all I'm good for. Like if I leave, I won't. That's it. That's the end of yeah. my life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talking to our girls about it, that what's yes. okay, what's not okay. You're yeah. touching so on that intergenerational trauma thing, right? Yes. We come to a point where we have to ask ourselves, whatever's been passed down, where does it stop? Mm-hmm. And then when I decide it needs to stop, right? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to stop that? Mm-hmm. And so part of this is changing that narrative in our homes now yeah. as moms of my generation, your generation. Mm-hmm. What story or what narrative do we want them to have? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because people wonder, you know, does intergenerational trauma with DV actually exist? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yes, yes. You'll find it. Yes, but it came it to a point with you too, yeah. Sophia, and with you, Batul, where you said no. Like, I, I stop it here. Here, yeah. yeah. And you yes. mentioned this, Batul, right? Your girls yes. coming yes. and telling you that. Exactly. SubhanAllah. Yeah. And, and, and my, even my son, the way he, he is more sensitive, he's more in touch with his uh, emotions, the way he Aww. shows care. I'm so proud of him to, to, you know, to change this way. And there was a point not very long ago where he was completely, uh, I mean, in at the other side of the whole thing he was um he was broken and he was angry and he 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 thought that this is not fair and um there was no hope basically and now within uh, like you can say 2 years it's it's it has completely changed and and as she said it started with me changing me he- healing me showing that i'm strong and there is something that my uh, daughter used to say that what don't don't feel sad about what happened because I would say that oh I wish you didn't have to go through this I wish you didn't I I, I was I wish I was strong enough earlier I was I didn't want you guys to to see all that and she said if you want us to to heal you show us that all this happened but you changed but you stood stood up for yourself and show us a good end to it and 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 uh, alhamdulillah i thank allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he let me show them a, a good a better end to whatever happened and this whatever i went through basically made who i am today yeah, mm. yeah. and i just speak on that. finish that thought that's yeah. beautiful that's that's I, I, I don't regret anything and i don't feel sad i i don't feel like a victim anymore because i've it made me stronger Mm. And, yeah. it and it made had, your kids stronger too. Exactly, exactly, and they're better people. I, I and oh. if it if I I went through this for thirty three years in mm. confusion, in feeling yeah. that I'm not giving enough. I'm too sensitive. I'm too emotional. I'm too this. I'm too that. It wasn't me all along, and I when the the minute I saw that I it changed everything for me, and then I mean people had to tell me that. Oh, you're okay. You're good. You're doing your best to for me to feel better. I I have I have the, the minute I found that I am enough. I mean, I yeah. I got in touch with myself, mm. and I it it completely changed the whole thing. 
it was a game changer for me. So, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. We're it's, teaching our daughters yeah. to be empowered and uh, and to see themselves as confident yeah. and, uh, and, and, and and active. And valued. Yeah. And valued so much mm-hmm. more and worth mm-hmm. so much oh more. Because we are. Because so yeah. the reality is so bizarre to me that women think otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. We give life. You know what I'm saying? We yeah. are maternal creatures. We're teachers. My God, where would they be without women? <laughs> and it's not a shocker that the Prophet's last sermon was about women. Yes. And I think it says something too about the knowledge he had about women's issues. Mm-hmm. That he knew this was going to be a persisting issue. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. that he needed the men and the women to listen. You know, like be, remember this. It's like the last thing your mom tells you is the first thing you remember. You know, don't forget this. Don't forget this. And she tells you that because she knows you'll forget it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the Prophet knew this is something that we would struggle with. And, and this is the way that we were going to find Allah's glory and mercy is that we took when we took care of our women. You know what I'm saying? That's when we would find that mercy. But last questions. How do you think Allah SWT played a role in this? Like, why do you, how do you, how did you come to understand your hardship? How did you even come to understand becoming a director, how, becoming a mental health lead? How do you think, what do you think Allah is doing here? And how do you think he played your role in, in that journey of healing? I think for for me at least, I think Allah Subhanahu wa Taala puts people in the places that He wants them to be. Mm. I didn't I didn't even apply for a single job at Nissa Homes. I really? didn't apply. I I never applied. Subhanallah. I I got in. Um, you know, I started volunteering with National Zakat Foundation, which is the parent organization. And I remember them telling me, "Oh, we're doing Nissa Homes. Do you want to join?" And I was just like, "No, no. I I, I want to join. You know, I I want to start working in like the mainstream. I wanna. I don't want to be in the." Muslim social services, you know? <laughs> you guys are still not, like, where I want to be. And yeah. I remember being told, just try it, just try it. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, like, you know, one thing led to another. And, and you know, I think back to it, I'm like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally put me in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And, you know, I'm, I am where I am today and I'm doing what I'm doing today, not because of what I chose, not because of what I did, but because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that, you know, I will be in the right place and, and be able to do what I can. Um, and and be passionate and and give a hundred and ten percent to this and mm-hmm. and you know Rena can attest this we we yeah. you know Nissa Homes is not a nine to five job anyone that works with us I oh can my imagine gosh. I can imagine like she said eleven p.m. Yeah. we're you know we're still all okay I'm coming yeah. hang on and you know and how many times do we talk about okay we're done now this yeah. is it this is the final year like we're we're finished right and then as she said Allah puts you there like yeah. you think that you know I worked hard to get this no, no I didn't mm. he puts you there and I feel like I'm ready to walk right sometimes because I'm so tired but he's not wanting me to walk yet he's not ready for me because I'm not done what he wants me to do Mm -hmm. and similarly I started off as a volunteer as well Mm -hmm. and I always tell people like you guys say you know why did we go through this and we all have a story I'm in this position because of my personal story about my life I went through things in my life that brought me to become a psychotherapist or brought me to Nisa Homes right we all have a story and I think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's role in this is to let you live through that story and give back and and heal. And for me, it's helping people heal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
none of this is without Allah. And when he's done with me here, he'll be done with me in another and he'll replace you. Even this right? project, yeah. I want to say, Nissa Homes started off, you know, for, for our first five years, we were entirely donation-based. Every Ramadan, we would be out <laughs> yeah. there fundraising and, you know, yeah. terrified that we wouldn't, there are times where we're like, we might have to close down one of our homes because we simply don't have enough money. And mm-hmm. and then at the day after, someone would call us, here you go, Allah here's a check Allah. to pay off, you know, the, the fees for the whole year. And this is like, Allah. you can, it cannot, be more than this when you yeah. say it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. He is the one that has made this program available because it's for our community, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. it's from him and it's it's for his sake. Yeah, subhanAllah. And Allah takes care of it. So so for me, um, it's very interesting that I when I was really frustrated and I had this conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like, oh Allah, I had I I suffered through all this for years and years in your name. I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, and I believe that that person is close to you. That person, I saw that person praying, uh, reading Quran, talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, giving lectures to people. And I thought I was doing the right thing in your name. So help me out. So I, when I recognized Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he, I got to know him more, started talking to him more, he guided me. He guided me through it and he let me see his side of mercy, his side of the merciful, the the kind side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the true side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not the not the angry God, not the God who is there to punish women for doing this or not doing that. Mm-hmm. But the, but Allah who who is who has created me, who loves me and who will take care of me. So the I, I got connected to Allah directly not through somebody who's telling yes. me to do mm-hmm. this or to do that so it's so it's yeah. that made a huge difference for how i saw things and how i felt mm-hmm. yeah i definitely feel like my life turned around when i finally got an opportunity to make a direct connection with allah as opposed to filtered through a person right because i was always told that you do whatever i say and then Allah will be happy, right? Mm. But it was always like, do this for me, and then you'll gain yeah. rewards. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that in my rock bottom moment was was probably the most powerful moment for me because I finally was like, I am never going to let any other woman go through this again I'm going to speak about this one day when I'm in a better place and it's going to start here now and I don't know how this is going to happen and I'm so broken right now but I trust so strongly that Allah will facilitate this and so I look back now and through all the stumbles and falls and getting up again and, and falling again and, and that whole messy journey um, has brought me to just even sitting here right now, alhamdulillah, <laughs> you know, and, and like Yasmin said, like there's certain things that I didn't even have to go apply for or do. It literally came in my lap, like subhanAllah, like Allah just gave it to me, mm-hmm. you know, the opportunity to go back to school post-grad program 
without a high school diploma. Wow. <laughs> so no undergrad, like he, because I had an interview with the professor and I'm like, look, I'm really interested in this marketing management program, but I have nothing to show you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no high school diploma. I have no four-year undergrad, but I really need to do this program. And I have 10 years of experience from business. Um, so he said, okay, give me, you know, a detailed resume and show me what you've done and let's talk about it. And when I showed him, he's like, Sobia, I, I think you're overqualified for this program. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm like, just get me in there. This has been like a 25 year stall in my life. Subhanallah. I need to go back to school. I am so passionate about this. And I know that with this, it, and, and it's maybe the word, the way the world is made and uh, that, you know, having that education and that certification can take you so much farther. Um, and so alhamdulillah, you know, I was able to go to school. And while I was in school, it was so hard because it was a very intensive full, uh, you know, full-time uh, program um, that um, I was in the point of breaking. I was like, this is so hard. How do I maintain the home? I'm earning absolutely nothing. I've got three kids to feed. But I really need to finish this education. Um, ya Allah, like, just just please make this education worth it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, please provide me with something where I can give back with these marketing skills uh, and, and help the world in, in a, a, to be a better place in some way or form. I don't know how, but just please let this not go in vain. Mm -hmm. And I literally cried and went to sleep with tears in my eyes. And I woke up. And I got a text from the CEO Shut up. saying, hey, random mess, you know, question, but what are you up to these days? Would you like to join our marketing team? Wow. And I was like, You're, are you serious? Yes. And I start crying and crying. That is so <laughs> I to, incredible. I had to gather myself Allah. and I'm like, do you know, I just cried the last night. <laughs> Literally just less than 12 hours away. And open my eyes to this like subhanallah like that was just like you know oh my what God. is it called <laughs> expedited service mm. in duas <laughs> Allah SWT accepted your dua and and uh. to that point though is that never underestimate the power of dua oh. I honestly I can attest speak, over and speak over on and it. speak over on it that 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 is all that really helped me throughout this whole journey because there were such experiences that I would have never had anticipated come in my path, but Allah brought it together one at a time, one at a time. And I'm, it's, I'm not a special person. This is for anyone and everyone. And I've, I've spoken to other sisters who've had experiences like that, where Allah just brought it in their path. Oh. And so always have that hope and that trust and that expectation of Allah that he's, he's providing and he's there for you. And he's listening. He's, doing, he's listening and he's doing the best for you. Even in the difficult times, these are the moments that are elevating you yes, when you turn to him. Yeah. And so keep making those du'as, keep believing in the best for yourself and, you know, and, and keep, you know, striving and it's okay to pause at times when you need to, mm -hmm. but you know, keep that pace up and, and believe that that there's something so great for you ahead. Absolutely. And inshallah, it's going to be awesome. And that's the beautiful part about <laughs> it. The, the affairs of a believer is always good. Yeah. There isn't a bad situation because no. if yes. you make dua and Allah doesn't give it to you, he's delaying it for a good reason. Yeah. 
And if he's not giving it to you, he's replacing it. Yeah. And if he's if you're making dua, he's accepting it. And you're seeing it at the same moment. Yeah. So no matter yeah. what, your affairs are always good. Uh, absolutely. You know, and subhanAllah, and it brings like, like I always say, it's I, I think people really underestimate dua like to a, yeah. a to its very core, yeah. and it, it, it's 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 it people literally call it the weapon of a believer. Yeah. Because you can make it at any moment, at any second. Yeah. And it's literally there for you. You can make it at at the gas station anywhere. Yeah. And Allah yeah. is always listening. Always. And it's just it's it's truly remarkable. And you know the month of Ramadan is also the month of Quran. It's, yeah. it's a month of du'a. Mm. And like I, I really want my listeners to really understand how important it is for them to be making du'a, a mm. lot of du'a at every yes. second of every minute. If everybody's not making du'a every second, I don't know what to tell you. Du'a in sajda, du'a standing, du'a sitting. You know what I'm saying? Just really um, taking advantage of this month. Um, I wanted to ask um, for my listeners that are listening right now, or the ones that are listening right now, who might be experiencing domestic violence and feel like there's no way out. What would you say to them? To have self-compassion in the moment. I know that there's a lot of shame that you might be experiencing from what people have told you, from what you have been taught. I would say that um, it was not your fault and that what you experienced was real and is real and that there's no shame to your experience. And that, you know, it's, it's okay to step away from this, you know, and you are not defined by it. And no matter what other people say or, you know, are, are pressuring you to do, you know in your heart of what the next steps could be for you. And know that there is hope afterwards. Yes, it may be tough. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> I, I unfortunately can't promise you that. But the steps as you grow and learn and that journey that you embark on is going to be a really beautiful one, inshallah, over time. And what you need to have now at this time is self-compassion, self-love, and and really fill your cup now with words of positivity and replace the things that you have and might have heard in your past by other people of your worthlessness, of, of who they think you are. You know who you are. And start that journey to really uncover and un, 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 unveil that for yourself. Um, you know, and, and also to to practice forgiveness, self-forgiveness, like forgiveness to yourself. And I think that's what I mean by self-compassion is how can we forgive ourselves and understand that this was not my fault and it's okay where I'm at and that I can make a decision from here now. I'm not stuck in this situation. So, you know, one quote that's has stayed with me since I was a teenager and has sort of evolved in, in different forms of meanings as, as it's grown with me, is um, a quote by Maya Angelou that, that says, when you know better, you do better. Mm. And so at that time, this is what you knew, and it's okay. But as you're growing and evolving, you will know better, 
and and from those new tools you can do better um and and grow into this and flourish into this this beautiful soul that you all that you already are <laughs> you know um and you know i think a lot of times you know it's it's the shame that that keeps us back i can truly say it was the shame that kept me in this situation for 20 years i was ashamed of even uttering it or asking for help but once we remove that shame and realize that it was not your fault and that it was real what you experienced i see you i hear you then suddenly this this burden is lifted off your shoulders and you can see the the many possibilities that that you have now <coughs> So believe in yourself and and take those steps if if that's what you need in terms of getting help and and going through the healing process. Um, and I, I I promise you it's it's a beautiful um, ending for you. <laughs> yes, um, if you if you feel that it, you're you're abused, you're violated, you you know better. Don't let anyone say that. You're too emotional or you're too sensitive or you're too weak. Uh, if you know that you, f you know your emotions best, if you're not happy, you don't have to pretend to be happy. You just have to recognize it and you have to prepare yourself to, do, to take the next steps. And when, when it's time, when you're ready, you will know what to do. Mm -hmm. This is what I was told um by my um friend uh she's a therapist i wish i had spent more time with her but she said that you will know when you're ready and at that time it felt like something impossible like i would uh, i would have an anxiety attack like just by thinking about what are my options what do i do how mm. can i leave it's this is my home this is my family this is my life, I was, I was okay to be with, to to live like that, and to, as she said, to I, I had accepted it, but um, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't want us to to <coughs> suffer. This is, this is on you. When you recognize it, it's on you. You have to take charge of your, yourself. You don't say that this is this happened to me. You have to you have to be responsible for what you do. Mm -hmm. So that's that's for me. I would I would like to say just recognize it and and be okay with your feelings. Mm -hmm. Be okay with with your um, with yourself and be honest. Absolutely. I guess um, for me, what I'll say to somebody that's going through it right now. As you hear these wonderful souls here talk about, you know, the things that they're talking about, you may think, but that's not me. I can't see myself there. I'm not able to. I'm not that strong. I'm not, you know, I'm not that powerful. I want you to know that that narrative is there because of where you are right now. Okay, and as Sobia and Batul constantly talk about that journey of healing, is that it's possible to speak like these two ladies here once you start that journey of healing, mm -hmm. right? So my 
my piece of advice would be to talk to one person that you trust. If you're stuck right now, you don't know where to go, but you know that you're in that situation, talk to one person that you trust and ask them to help you. As I said earlier, there are safe ways to do it. And if you reach out to organizations like ours, um, we safely get your children and you out of there. So speak to one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. it. After like, listening to all the wonderful things that you ladies had to say about, you know, this topic, we can all agree how important this work is, the important of Nisa Home is, like how important it is, you know, for all of us to support in it. So my question, my next natural question is, how can us as a community, even my listeners, how can we support Nisa Homes? So many ways, my goodness. One of the biggest and most important is that du'a we talk about, mm-hmm. right? Continue to make du'a continue to talk about this topic, uh, continue to challenge your narratives. You know, what do I believe true that I can challenge? Uh, continue to educate yourself around it. Um, Nisa Holmes, in terms of you want to, you know, provide tangible support, you can be volunteers with mm-hmm. us. We have campaigns right now for Ramadan. We have a home opening in Hamilton. You know, we always, me and Yasmin talk about this, like, oh, my goodness, wow, we have a home open in Hamilton. And, you know, we are asked, what is what is the next goal? And mm-hmm. it's a sad goal. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's so sad to say, yeah, we have eight homes across Canada. It's not a proud goal that we have to have eight homes. But the reality is that the problem continues. It grows. And the more we talk about it, the more awareness there is, the more the need there is to support the cause. And so long after me and Yasmin are gone, this will continue. Mm-hmm. So look into our, you know, our Facebook and our Instagram page. They are uh, donation links to support us financially with as little as you can, connecting Nissa Homes to donors that you know that can provide as well. Um, and yeah, there there's fundraising events coming up as well. We have a few in every city mm-hmm. where you can buy a ticket, bring your families and your friends and learn about this cause, mm-hmm. you know, become part of it. Um, and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can find Nisa Homes on Instagram and Nisa yes. Homes. You can find Nisa's all of this information on their website at www.nisahomes.com. Um, we'll have it, inshallah, in the notes. Uh, but definitely, this is a month also of, you know, donation, giving. Um, if you can give, give wherever you can. And I know I have a lot of international listeners that um, might be interested in, in donating um, because this is really important. And after, after listening to... You ladies, I'm so touched and inspired, genuinely, of just your strength, genuine strength. Um, sometimes I doubt my own, but when I see women doing that all the time, every day, it just tells me, girl, you could do it too, you know, you, you, you'll be fine. And, and it's just, I just want to tell you guys, like, you guys are literal, <laughs> like, you guys are superheroes. And superheroes um, might not have a nine to five because they always seem like they're working odd hours, but they're doing something great, you know, and your choice, the choice that you made to get out was so powerful that it's going to affect many women after, you know? Um, And you made a huge step for all of us. Um, And so we can make the same steps too. And your daughters and your kids can make the steps forward and telling your stories. Now we're all thinking about taking those steps forward if we're in those difficult situations. And I just want to tell you guys, thank you so much for coming and talking about this and being vulnerable, being open. And I know it wasn't an easy topic to talk about, um, to kind of open difficult wounds. Um, but uh, 
I hope all of this doesn't go in vain. And I hope that if one listener is listening right now who's experiencing this, they might be inspired what you had to say. They, and they, make- they should they should know that we were, Sobi and I, we come from a very, very low uh space and then we are sitting here today mm-hmm. just because just we want you to know that you will be okay yeah that's my message you'll be okay you'll be all right you're gonna be okay mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll be all right yeah. and um yeah if you're listening just take a deep breath and say bismillah make dua talk to allah ta'ala, seek his counsel first um ask for his aid and when it's time and it's right for you make the step forward um, but yeah, thank you so much, sisters. Jazakallah khair. Truly barakallah feek for coming. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just no words, but I'm so thankful that you guys came and you, and you talked about this with me because I, I, I'm, I couldn't have done this without you guys. So jazakallah khair. Jazakallah thank you for having us here. Yes. It's been an honor and a gift. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. Recorded at MH Studios Toronto. I'd love to give a shout out to our executive producer, Manishak Umar. Thank you for the episode. Our recording engineer, Jonathan Lilo. Our podcast intern, Nima Haroon. Our graphic designer, Sima, a.k.a. Wasima Fada. Our project manager, Yasmeen Mahmood. And our marketing extraordinaire, Sultan Abdullahi. If this podcast gave you value, we're leaving it up to you. Donate however much you feel like it gave to you. We have a big team this year who put so many hours into bringing the show to life. If you can't give right now, don't worry. Please keep us in your drawers. All right, y'all, that's it for me. I will see you guys, hopefully, this Friday, in your ears, in your speakers, telling you what? A good story.